listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, Northside, I want you to imagine for a moment what God looks like. What does God look like? What do you picture? What do you envision? Maybe it's similar to Morgan Freeman because you watch Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty. So you picture this guy in all white. Maybe it's Morgan. Maybe that's what you picture. Maybe not. Maybe you, maybe you picture someone with white hair and a white beard representing wisdom, age. Maybe you just sit there wondering, does God have hands? Does God have ears? Does God have eyes? He says that he sees us and he hears us. And, you know, and Isaiah even says that his people are written on the palms of his hands. And not so much because he can't remember their names. That's what I do when I need something. I just write on the palm of my hand. But because it just shows how important you are to him. How valuable you are to him. That's who he is. But what does he look like? Does he have ears? Does he have eyes? Does he have hands? Or maybe when you think about God, you just struggle with any image at all because you know God is spirit. And because you know God is spirit, there is not an image that can capture him. Perhaps that's why in the Ten Commandments it tells us do not make for yourself an image or any form, an idol of God. Because you cannot capture the essence of who God is in anything that we create or manufacture or envision or come up with. You just can't do it. He transcends it all. He's huge. He's big. Nothing can capture the essence of God. Nothing. Or maybe someone. Maybe there's no thing that could capture his essence, but perhaps there's someone who could. Maybe there's a person who could. I like the way Corey in his email to our worship team this week said, he says, I don't know what God looks like, but if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of God, the reflection of, well, everything. If you want to know what God looks like, just look to Jesus because God looks like Jesus and Jesus looks like God because Jesus is God. In fact, Jesus is the perfect image of God. I think our world really does want to know what God looks like. If there is a God, what does he look like? And our world just doesn't understand that that God is manifested in the person of Jesus, that he embodies the very nature of God. I just don't think our world understands it. They haven't seen it. They haven't embraced it yet. But if only they would know it, this is what God looks like. Jesus is the perfect image of God. Now, where does this idea come from? It, it comes from the book of Colossians. This is the book that we've been in. We're going through a series, More Jesus. And I want you to open your device, your Bible, to Colossians chapter 1, where, which is the primary text from which the early church looked at to see who Jesus really was. And by looking at who Jesus really was, the early church was able to see what God looks like. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And we're we're going to read it together. You can just listen as I read this out loud. But this is the text the early church used to see who is Jesus. And if you know who Jesus is, you know what God looks like. It is in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Here's what the text reads. The Son, Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the way that God, who is invisible, made himself visible. Jesus is the way that God, who is invisible, made himself visible to mortal beings so that we could see who he is. It's in the person of Jesus. Michael DeFazio says, in the life of Jesus, the great optometrist has given us eyes to see, to see who he really is. That image of God. Now, this carries a couple ideas here. It means, first of all, this, that Jesus, is, Jesus reveals what God is like. When you look at Jesus, you see what God is like. We're going to get to more of that here in a minute. But God is spirit, and therefore, he's invisible. But the person of Christ, God in the flesh, makes God visible to our mortal eyes. The second thing it shows is this. Jesus is the representative. He is the exact representative of God. He's the manifestation of God. He's the embodiment. That's what that means, the embodiment of God. God had originally placed on Adam to represent his interests. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created in the image of God. Adam failed by sinning. And when he sinned against God and rebelled against God, God had to send his only begotten son to come and to show us what God originally intended for us, to be what God desired for us to be. Jesus came as his representative to show God's love to the world, to show his heart to the world, to show his interest to the world. And in that sense, Jesus is the image of God. He represents God. He is God. So this implies both representation and manifestation. Both are in the person of Jesus. He's the perfect resemblance. He's the perfect representation of who God is. Now, Colossians is showing that, but there's other texts that agree with this. In fact, let's look at a couple really quick. Like this one in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, where it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, <coughs> sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus <coughs> excuse me, is the perfect representation of God. <coughs> in John chapter 1, It tells us that in the beginning was the Word. It says I can't speak a word. Hang on. I'm going to try to get it back. So in James 1, 1 through 2, in the beginning, wow. So Lord, pray my voice. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, and He's made Him known. So Jesus is the perfect representation. He's the exact representation, but He's also the perfect manifestation In fact, Jesus even confirmed this in John 14, 9, when Jesus said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is, in fact, God. So just think about this for a second. If it was not for Jesus, we would be sitting in this fog, not really knowing who God is 
and how God would respond and how God would act and what God would do in this situation or in that situation. We just wouldn't know. We're sitting in this fog wondering, what is God like? What does he look like? How would he respond? How would he act? How would he see? How would he know? How would he hear? What would he do? He's he's invisible to us, so how would we know? Michael DeFazio says this, Do you want to know how God responds to a woman who's caught in adultery? Do you want to hear what God thinks of religion? Do you want to see how God responds to poverty? Do you want to know how God treats the people you hate? Do you want to hear what God says to outcasts and sinners? Do you want to see what God is doing about human suffering? Do you want to know who God blames for natural disasters? Do you want to hear who God considers to be the real enemy? Do you want to see how God deals with illness and sorrow and death? Do you want to know the gentleness? Do you want to see grace? Do you want to know? Do you want to hear? Do you want to see? How would you know? God has revealed all of these things to you in the person of Jesus. He is the perfect image of God. Jesus is the one who looks like God. God is the one who looks like Jesus. He's the image of the one who otherwise would not be seen. This is how we know. This is how we're not in a fog about who God is. It's in the person of Jesus. We now know that this statement about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, what it says about God, we know who he is. But here's the other side of that coin. Here's the other part of that question is what does it reveal about us? Like, what's it say about you? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Well, what are you? Because the Bible has some things to say about you and your image as well. Like in Genesis chapter one, where we read these words about God's original creation, when it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so what we have here is you have been created in the image of God, every man, every woman. Now, this is something in ancient cultures they didn't grasp. Because in the ancient culture, the one who was made in the image of God was the king. And so his kingdom was to reflect the heavenly kingdom. And he had some kind of connection with the gods. And so he was created in the image of God, not necessarily the people. But God says from the very beginning, no, male and female have been designed, created in the image of God. They reflect God's loving rule toward one another, to the non-human world. This is literally what we were made for, why we, why we were put here in the first place. We are created in his image. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We, you were created in the image of God. And what that means is that your personhood is created in the image of God. That's who you are. And what that means is that means that you have intellectual capacity. You have relational capacity. You've got moral, ethical capacity. You've got creativity capacity. You have capacity for emotions such as joy, sorrow, grief, elation. You've got spiritual capacity because you're a spirit being. This separates you from the animals. We, the intellectual capacity is such that we can know the true knowledge and will of God. The linguistic 
capability, capacity, means that we can actually reflect on God's word that is written for us. And we can hear revelation from him through his word. Even as he speaks to our hearts, we can receive that from him. And we can pray to him. We can praise him. We can bring glory to him. We can understand with our words. We can praise him with our own words. Our volitional capacity means we can choose to follow him, to love and to obey. Our creative capacities allows us to make things with wisdom and beauty in imitation of God and for the glory of God. Our moral capacity means we know right from wrong and that because of that we're grounded in a transcendent God and we're responsible to him for our ethical choices. Our emotional capacity means we can experience joys and sorrows at the same time while also experiencing his presence, that he is with us and he cares for us and he loves us. Being created in the image of God means that we have inherent dignity and value because we are created in his image. It is that knowledge of God that that gives us a sanctity of life ethic. It's why we believe in this with every fiber of our being, that we are not to murder. We're not to kill life because God has created life. So we don't do that. That's why yesterday we were even celebrating as a church and many of you were participating in the Praise and Care Center's Walk for Life where that's, that's what our funds and our ministry and our partnership is going to, to strengthening women and people and fathers and families. We're, we're doing this because we understand we're created in God's image. There's a sanctity of life that is precious and holy and valuable. It's inherent in each and every single one of us. But here's the problem. Sin has corrupted the image of God within us. It has not corrupted our personhood. That does not change even with sin. We're in the image of God. That's who we are. But the image of God within us, who he has really created us to be, that has been marred and corrupted by sin. Have you ever wondered, what does God want from you? What what does God want for you? Is that you would be created in his image. Is that you would mirror him to this world. It's not that you would mirror some TV personality or some superb athlete or some model with the perfect body or some cool guy that seems to wear all the great shoes or whatever. God has created you to be like Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is our God-given destiny. That is who we are to be. But the problem is when we sinned against God, when we rebelled against God, we were not functioning as his servants. Instead, we, we began to function as those who were opposed to him because sin corrupts the image of God within us. And once the image of God has been damaged in us, our relationships suffer with people. Our relationship suffers with God. Immediately, we enter into a phase where we're not at peace with God. Instead, we're running and hiding from God. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned against God and they were guilty and they were experiencing shame, they hid, they covered themselves, they were hiding from their creator, from that relationship with God. We do the same thing. When we sin against God, we rebel against him. We too go into hiding. We experience that same brokenness in our own lives. It means we still have a relationship with God, but instead of positive, it's negative. We're no longer in that servant relationship, fellowship with God. We're in rebellion against him and and we're, we're going to experience the wrath of God. To be corrupted in our image also means that the original relationship we had with the world, that is marred. Where it's God and he creates man in his image so that we can have dominion over this world. That's how God created it. That's what he longs for, what he wants to see. 
But instead, because we didn't stay his servants and we sinned against him, we came under the power of sin. And we are no longer masters of creation. We are slaves to the very created things of this world. We are enslaved to the worldly elements. All those elements that we pursue and chase after, whether it's comfort or success or pleasure, the things we put in the place of God, whether it's alcohol or drugs or money or sex or time, whatever it is, we're supposed to be servants of God and we're to be seeing dominion over these things, but instead we have become enslaved to it. And as a result, we have lost that favorite place of the creation order. Instead of it being what God created, which was God, man, world. This is what God created. God, man in his image, world. Instead, it looks like this. God, world, man. And because in an effort to put ourselves where God is, in an effort to make our own decisions and to do what only God can do, instead of it lifting us up, it actually lowered us to the lowest of lows. And now it's God, world, man. And we've become slaves to the very thing that we wanted to have dominion over. We attempted to elevate ourselves to God's level, but we are now under bondage to the world itself. Sin has corrupted us and has corrupted God's image in us. Michael DeFazio in his book, More Jesus, says they should look at us, the world should look at us and see God's mercy, but instead they see injustice and exploitation of the weak. They should look and see God's provision, but instead they see addiction. They should see kindness, but instead they see us heaping abuse. They should see gentleness, but instead, patience, but instead, he goes on and on. But as one scholar put it, humanity was designed to be the perfect vehicle for God's self-expression within his world. But those who who were created to clarify have only compounded confusion. That's what sin has done in us. It's marred us. It's broken us. Every one of you have felt it. We've brought confusion to this world. And Colossians says there's a solution to this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And that means when we look to Jesus, we see the template that God uses to create humanity. When you look to Jesus, you see who we were always designed to become. That this is what God desired for us. We be created in his image. Servants following him according to his will. And when you look to Jesus, you see what we were designed to be. You see the template that God used to create humanity. He is the prototype. He's the map. He's the perfect representation. He's the model for authentic humanity. And when we look to Jesus, we see what really is supposed to be the genuine, authentic human, what it ought to look like as Jesus walked this earth. This is what God desired for us, which means Jesus is the image of the visible God. You were created in God's image. Sin corrupted that image within you. So God created you to look like Jesus. You were created to look like Jesus. Images are created to image. Images are created to image. If you create an image, if you were to make a sculpture of someone and you were to display that for people to see, you put it there in the middle of the square or middle of town, you'd want it to show something. You want that image to image something, that it would show that that person perhaps was noble or courageous or strong or wise or something. Because images are meant to image. And whose image are we growing to become more and more like? What are we looking at? Who are we looking at? Who is modeling for us what we're becoming? It's kind of like last night. I was I watched a, I watched till halftime 
uh, because then I had to go to bed. Otherwise, I would not have made it to the 9 o'clock service today. Uh, but I was watching the Colorado-Colorado State game. It came out at 9 o'clock last night. Those of you who are following football and you know about Colorado, you know why we're watching this. It's a bunch of hype. And so we were watching it. Deion Sanders is the coach for the team. I'm watching the game. And one of the commentators, it was uh, Lewis Reddick, he was talking. And he said something like this. And, and when he, it struck me because of what we're talking about today. But he, he actually said about the players and about the team, he said the team will play in the image of, of Dion. The team will play in the image of Dion. Like you're going to play in the image of the one that you're looking to, the one that you're mo- that's modeling for you, the one that you're following. They're going to play in the image of Dion. I just was thinking about that. About that's we're, we're going to follow what we're looking at and, and who we're looking to. Dallas Willard says it this way: "You were made to be and do whatever Jesus would be and do if He were you." Let's say that part again. You were made to be and do whatever Jesus would be and do if he were you. That might be a good thing to memorize. If you lived in your shoes, had your family, your friends, your enemies, your neighbors, your house, your dog, your clothes, or your job. You were made to be and do whatever Jesus would be and do if he were you. What would he do? What would he be? There's always a chance he would sell all your clothes and quit your job, but that's a different subject for another time. You were fashioned. You were made to love God the way Jesus loved God. You were made to trust God the way Jesus trusted God. You were made to obey God the way Jesus obeyed God. That's what you were made for. You were made to love people the way Jesus loved people. You were made to care for people and Serve people the way Jesus cared and served people. This is what you were formed to be. To the point where Jesus gave everything he had for that. And Jesus is just answering this question for us. Who is God and who are we? Who is God, who are we? If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And if you want to know how we ought to live Look to Jesus. Because he's the one who answers the questions, who is God and who are we? And the question I would have right now is, who are you looking to? Are you looking to the right one to reflect the glory of God? Is this image that has been marred within you because of sin, is there something in your life in this process where you're becoming to look more and more like Jesus? It really depends on where your focus is, where your eyes are, who you're looking to. It reminded me this week as I was reflecting on this back in 2004, maybe some of you even remember this, but it was in the Olympic Games and Matt Emmons had the gold medal in sight. And his event that he was competing in was the 50-meter three-position rifle event. So, you know, the, the target shooting with the rifles. That was his event and he was a shoe-in for the gold medal. He only had one final shot to win the gold medal. That's all he had to do. And he didn't even have to be like the perfect shot. He was that good at this Olympics. And so the gold medal was going to be his. Everybody knew it. And he got up there to shoot and he shot. And sure enough, true to form, he hit that bullseye dead center. I mean, he was on the mark. It was a perfect shot. It was incredible. But then when the score popped up, instead of being that perfect score, guaranteeing the gold medal, his score was zero. He went from 
first place gold to last place because he did something that is rarely ever done. It's so rare, in fact, but he was in lane number two and he shot at lane number three. He was just off that much. And he hit that bullseye perfect, but he was shooting at a target that wasn't the one he was supposed to be aiming at. I can only imagine how devastating that was for him. I mean, I can imagine to be in that situation. All the training, all the work, all the effort, all of it gone because you, you're aiming in the wrong direction. You're not aiming at the right thing. There are times I've aimed at the wrong target. And I wish it was as purely accidental as it was for Matt. I mean, that was a pure accident that he did that. But every single one of us have at times in our lives when, when God wanted this for you and you're like, but I want to do this. I want to act on this and I'm going to look at this and I want to say this and I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. And it's not because we're following the image of our creator. It's because I'm, I'm wanting to do what I want to do. I want to make God in my own image. In fact, if God could look a little bit more like me, like with my preferences and my desires, that actually would be my preference. I mean, that would help me if he would be a little bit more likely. So we start aiming at success and pleasure and comfort in the images of our own creation. We're aiming at style, success, wealth, fun, entertainment, all these things. And this is the danger. We were created in the image of God, but the temptation is to create God in our own image. Is to create God in our own image. To replace him, to, to change him, to fit our preferences and wants. We make God what we want him to be. We try to shape God to suit our own tastes and preferences and thoughts and desires. Perhaps this is why he says, do not make for yourself an idol of any form. We do it when, when I say, well, you worship God your way. I'll worship God my way. And it's such a nice feeling, isn't it? Whenever it seems like God always agrees with my feelings and my way of, of doing things. It's so nice when God really aligns with my preferences, which is the first indication I'm creating God in my own image. I'm not following him. It's easy to invent a God who's a lot like us. We picture him in a way that meets our needs, what we want to see. It reminds me of that time in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6 when back then in their culture... You know, whoever was winning the battle, their God was obviously the strongest. It's how they viewed it. And so they had their idols and they had their many gods. And I know when the Philistines were battling the Israelites and they defeated the Israelites, they captured the Ark of the Covenant, which to the Philistines was their God. Their God was the box. And they brought it to their temple so they could take the God of the Israelites and place that God at the feet of Dagon, their God. Their God, Dagon, who was fashioned in about 3000 BC. He was considered the father of all gods in many cultures. He was the father of all gods, which is ironic because he came about in about 3000 BC and, and the God they were coming up against was the God who's existed from eternity past. But anyway, Dagon, the father of all gods and his statue there on the pedestal and before it is this Ark of the Covenant of the Israelites. And they place it in there. <coughs> The next morning they come in and Dagon has fallen on his face. They, their God is laying prostrate before the ark. What do they do? They, they pick up Dagon and they put him back up on his pedestal because as you know, every powerful God needs to be put up on their own pedestal by people. So they put the God up there, not once thinking perhaps 
the God of the Israelites was responsible for this until they come in the next morning and Dagon is face down and shattered and broken into pieces before him. And it wasn't until that moment when people started getting tumors and dying and getting sick that they realized uh, we want nothing to do. And so I've come to the conclusion, perhaps we should submit to this God. Their conclusion was we want nothing to do with that God. So they put the ark on a, on a, on a cart with oxen and sent it off. And it was carried away because they didn't want anything to do with a God that they could not control. And we kind of do the same thing sometimes. They don't want anything to do with a God that they cannot control. That's that powerful. They'll do that kind of stuff. Just send him on his way. We prefer to cast God into whatever image we prefer and what we want. We'll make our idols. We'll make our false gods, not the one true God. We'll shape God to suit our own tastes, our own thoughts, our own desires. This is how we function. This is what they did. But Genesis says, we were made in the image of God. And Colossians says, Jesus is the image of God. So we're made in the image of God, which was corrupted by sin. Jesus is the image of God. And so the process we're in right now is this process called sanctification, where we're allowing Jesus to then transform us back into the image that God originally intended for us within our being, within our soul. You see, Jesus, in Jesus, we see the template God used to create humanity. We see who we were always designed to become. This is who we're aiming to be. From the beginning, we were made to mirror the one we now know as Jesus Christ. He's the prototype, the mode of authentic humanity. He is the first genuinely normal human being. This is who we want to be. God created you to look like Jesus. He's the image according to which God created you to be, dreamed you to be. It was your God-given destiny. Do you you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know who you are? Look to Jesus. He's the full and final revelation of who God is and who you were created to be. Jesus is that. There's no reason to look anywhere else. There's no reason to look to any other place for the divine. You will never find another model that stands as right and, and true. So we look to Jesus. So that he can renew what has been corrupted within us. We need to be made new again. And this is what Colossians goes on to say. So I want us to look ahead really quick. Just skip ahead for a moment to Colossians chapter 3. We were in Colossians 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So what's he going to do about that? Because we're, we're not in our inner self. And so we get to Colossians 3 and we look at verses 9 through 10. And in this list leading up to this, Paul is telling the, the Colossian people there, and the people of Colossae, that he wants them to put off all of the things that belong to their earthly nature, to cast them aside. That's not who they are anymore. And he says this in Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. When we put our faith and belief in Jesus Christ, the old self is cut off. The new self is renewed and we are being restored and renewed into the image of Jesus in the image of God, our creator. Jesus is the one who created us. Jesus is the one who renews us. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. Jesus is the one who is changing us from the inside out, transforming us so that we reflect the image of God in our own lives. Our new self is being renewed by our creator. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, We're being transformed in his, into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
This is our journey with Jesus. He's transforming us and making us with ever-increasing glory, more and more like Him, which is more and more like we were created to be. This is what He's doing in us. The New Testament affirms it. First of all, it affirms that, that we're creating God's image, like 1 Corinthians eleven seven, James 3, 9. It, it describes that. But also the New Testament describes this sanctification process where we're being renewed as believers so that we become like Jesus. <laughs> we need the power of Jesus to help us to do this. And the reason is the fact that Jesus wants to renew you means that this stands opposed. The evil one, Satan, stands against everything God wants to do to make you into the image of Jesus. The evil one wants to stop it. He wants to stand against it. It's why not only sometimes you find it this frustrating as you live in this world because your spirit is redeemed, but your bodies are not yet, your flesh is not yet redeemed. We're still in this world where Satan is still at work. And so you get frustrated by this. It's also why you get frustrated when people you love and care about just don't seem to to be able to see Jesus right now. Something is blinding them from seeing who Jesus really is. And you just want them to see so desperately that he's the manifestation of, of who God is. If only they could see it. And it's so frustrating. Why do they not see it? Because as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of of God. This is what Satan is doing. He's marring God's image in us and he wants to prevent people from seeing who Jesus really is and he's the perfect image of God. He's wanting to prevent them from becoming who God wants them to become. He's the enemy that stands opposed to us. He stands in our way. He's working. That's why we are abiding in prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to tear down walls, to tear down these barriers, to break down the strongholds, to open up people's eyes so that they can see Jesus for who he really is because Satan is working overtime to blind us to this, to prevent us from seeing who Jesus is, even in your own life. Jesus wants to open your eyes. And so Colossians 1.15 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is making visible what otherwise was invisible. He wants to open your eyes to see him for who he really is. And he's not just that. The text also says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn over all creation. And that word in English is not my favorite word in the translation because oftentimes we see firstborn and we immediately think it's the, you know, the child firstborn. Like he's the firstborn as if he, he, he's a creation of God, an offspring of God that was born into this world. And that's not what it means at all. The context doesn't mean that at all. Even in the Greek word would expand that to mean something even broader than that. It's not talking about that he's the, the first one in time to be born. It means that, that he is of primacy. It's his, his special rank of who he is. He's the firstborn over all creation. Like he's the highest there is. It has to do with his position and who he's created us to be. For in him, this text says, all things were created. Jesus created you, and he's recreating you to be who he's created you to be. He wants to restore you and heal you and renew you so that in this image that God's created, you can look more and more like God. This is what He wants to redeem what's broken. Everything has fallen apart around you. He wants to bring something good out of it right now. You remember that story I just told you about Matt Emmons? The Olympic shooter shoots at the wrong target. After it happens, he goes into a beer garden there in the, the uh, Olympic village, and he's sitting there. And while he's sitting in that beer garden after this event, 
He feels a tap on his shoulder and looking up, he sees the Czech shooter, Katerina Kirkova and her father. And they came up to him and just told them, first of all, their condolences about what happened, but also that they wanted him to know that uh, they, even though he didn't get the gold, in their minds, he was the winner. He was the gold winner. They respected how he handled it. They respected his work and just how gifted and skilled he was. They, she even gave him a little uh, four-leaf clover uh, keychain for good luck for the next time you know, that he was to go. This is kind of how that started. So they had this conversation. He thanked them for being encouraged and affirmed by them and their kind words to him in that moment, and they left. But then over the course of that year, there were several other interactions that he had with Katerina. And it happened a couple times at different events. And pretty soon after some of those moments, they decided to start dating. And three years later, they were married. And part of his story goes like this, that in one of those moments of obviously tragedy and and a horrific circumstance that happened in his life, there was something beautiful that came out of something that was so tragic. And Jesus wants to take something that is so tragic as we have had this image of God marred in us because of sin. He wants to take something so tragic that we're not mirroring and reflecting him to the world like we ought to because perhaps perhaps our eyes are on the wrong target. And Jesus wants to bring beauty of that out of that. He wants to renew us and heal us and restore us and make us look more like him and more like our God so that one day we're in the kingdom of heaven we will be exactly like God created us to be in the image of God in every way, no longer marred by sin. It's what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross and he paid the price for our sins so that we could be renewed, healed, forgiven. He could replace guilt with forgiveness and and shame with healing. This is what Jesus wants to do. And God can do that. We want him to do that, but we've got to be looking to Jesus for that. He's everything. And maybe today, right now, this is a moment when you need to refocus your attention, your eyes, what you're looking at, who you're looking to, so you can reflect the glory of God in your life. So you can be a mirror that reflects his image to others. And it looks like what God looks like because you look like what Jesus looked like because you're just following him. You're an image bearer who's just following the image of your creator. This is who we want to be. And perhaps today you just need some prayer for that. You need to ask God to do some work in you to make you more and more like Jesus. Perhaps there's somebody in your life right now that is just blinded by Satan and they're prevented from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Therefore, they don't see God for who he really is. And you need to pray today for those blinders to be removed, for the strongholds to come down, for the Holy Spirit to break through. And you want to pray with someone today. So here's what we're going to do. In a few moments, our prayer team's going to come down to the front and to the sides of the room. They've already been praying with you, for you today. They want to pray with you today. You can go to them and pray right now today. And perhaps for you, you've not yet put your faith in Jesus where you've believed in him and confessed your sins and repented of those sins and been baptized into Christ. We had a gentleman do that this morning in our nine o'clock service. Perhaps that's not yet happened for you. But Romans 6 would describe that occasion in faith when you're baptized into Jesus as being raised to new life. This is what you need. You need Jesus to recreate that image of God in you and be made new. And so you need that work done in you by God. And perhaps today that can happen with just a moment of surrender. We want to invite you to respond. And so in a few moments, I'm going to be stepping out to decision point. I'd love to meet with you here. If you're in the room, if you're watching online, just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. We'd love to begin that conversation with you. And of course, we got cards in your seat pockets. You can respond as well. 
So we invite you to respond through decision. We invite you to respond as you leave today by giving to the Lord to advance his kingdom so others can see the image of Christ in them. And so there's boxes at the back of the room and, and you can see with the screens here the ways that you can give to the Lord today. We're going to take a few moments right now. The lights are going to dim. We want you just to bow your heads and just to reflect for a moment on what God, our maker, would have you to do. And after some time of reflection and listening, reflecting on Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11, as Corey facilitates us here for a moment. After we've really had some time to reflect on this and reflect on our Creator, then... When we begin singing, I would love to meet you at Decision Point, and our prayer team would love to pray with you. But let's spend a few moments in reflection here as we meditate on these things. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.